right, so what's up, everybody? This is Under 1000. Uh, we're your hosts, Sam. That's your cue. Yeah. And Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and today, we've I've got an announcement. I've decided that in pursuit of a more niche audience, no. I'm going to shift no. the podcast's focus from games Don't do instead this. to check history. <laughs> yes, yes. This is this is now a check history podcast. Okay. Now, why check, you ask? Because that's the setting for this week's Diamond in the Rough. It's brown. It's unabashedly communist. It's got working <laughs> toilets. It's the winter soldier to Duke Nukem's Captain America. It's rot that's the nerdiest comparison i've ever heard in my life but keep going <laughs> excellent i'm gonna roll with it uh, a little background it was released in january 19th uh, 2021 developed by a single developer um going by the name spitenyev it's a uh, he's a solo video game developer uh currently making retro inspired fps uh using his own game engine written in pascal and he's written the game engine specifically to emulate uh, um Unfiltered textures and polygon jitter, in his words. Previous games include uh, Tragedy of Prince Rupert, which is a 2D hot air balloon shooter with like weird, crazy, surreal graphics. Um, it's like terrifying children's book illustrations over photorealistic like sky backgrounds, all with like an old timey black and white filter. It sounds what I see when I close my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really weird, but it looks really cool. Um, and then. Leggy, Leggy, which is a first-person low-poly dungeon crawler, uh, which I have some doubts about actually being a finished game. Well, Hrot isn't either, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. All right, so we should touch on this right now, right? Yeah, so Hrot is in Early Access, Episode 1. There is a decent amount of content so far. Um, it currently sits on a Steam page at overwhelmingly positive review rating, uh, with 933 reviews, so... Two episodes in, and we're already kind of squeaking them out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. So from the Steam page, Hrot is a single-player retro FPS set in a small socialist country neighboring Soviet Union, Czechoslovakia, after an unspecified disaster in 1986. Those times were dark and terrifying, and so is the game. You start in a civil defense shelter deep under a Prague metro station. As a proud holder of the military readiness badge, you know what your duty is. Put on a non-functioning gas mask, load up the VZ-52 pistol, and protect the peace and your socialist homeland from the strange intruders. Glorious. Absolutely glorious. Uh, yeah, so the, 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 the vibe he's going for is uh, very obviously um, sort of the Romeric Quake-style shooters from the 1990s, including, in his words, a fitting brown retro aesthetic, which this game is capital B brown. I think it is brown. I didn't know there were this many shades of brown before playing this game. It's like taking a shit in the coals. <laughs> it is That's brown. the brownest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, you'll find uh, among the weapons are uh, a shotgun, SMG, rocket launcher. So kind of the classic array of weapons that you find in a retro first-person shooters. Um, and then, of course, if you run out of ammo, you've got a, a, uh, a hammer and sickle as your melee weapon, keeping on brand there. Oh, yeah. The levels are are inspired by real locations, which I will do a speed run of um, in order to not make this podcast a Czech history podcast. Um, but they're really interesting, uh, especially the last level, which is really cool. It's got the classic trope of interactables, so flushable toilets, destructible light bulbs, a washing machine you can turn on, playground equipment, sports equipment, uh, and even a Soviet Nintendo, which I didn't know about until I actually perused uh, Spitinyev's Twitter uh, to find, you know, the post that he dropped there. Again, it's written in, it's a, it's running on a game engine written in Pascal, which specifically imitates 1990s software style rendering with unfiltered textures and polygon jitter. So 
I mean, Spitinyev went all in on this. Like, he's, you know, 100% they, uh, she, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's a he, 100% in on this retro vibe, so much so that they wrote their own game engine to imitate it. Yeah, they really wanted to make Czech Quake. <laughs> exactly, yes. And they did. Yeah, I, I think they absolutely succeeded. So right up front, I think it's important that we talk about uh, early access, because uh, this was something that I went back and forth on when choosing this game as a potential subject, because... I'm not sure how I feel about early access. I think this game does it really well, but I have seen it serially abused by a lot of developers. Um, so I figured we'd just kind of talk about that a little bit and, and be really upfront about that as something that we're not 100% sure on. I'm going to say that uh, they get a pass for early access because it's a single developer. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we all know that early access games can end up being an excuse for developers to never make their game work. Yeah, it's become kind of a game purgatory. And I think, like, okay, so here are the numbers run down for what's available right now from this single developer in early access. Eight levels, 16 enemies, nine weapons, four boss fights, new game plus, and one horde map. That's all episode one released by one person under early access. I feel like this is the use case for it, right? Totally. I mean, if nothing else... Do it to gauge interest and get a little bit of your money back and see if it's worth going, which, I mean, in this case, of course it is. I, I freaking love this game. Yeah, I, I absolutely do as well. In a weird twist of fate, uh, it's set in um, Czechoslovakia, which is now the Czech Republic. We've actually both been there uh, to Prague. Uh, I was there very briefly for a trip. And, I um, lived, and you lived there. I lived there, yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't like this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was mostly a lot of... Drink a lot of beer, and I talk to a lot of pretty Russian women. A lot of Pilsner Urquell, I'm assuming. I drank a lot of, yeah, I did do that. Uh, yep. And I hung out with some with a beekeeper quite a bit, so that was cool. Nice, yeah. It's I think I mean it's a Prague is a beautiful city, um, and it was really cool to see sort of the um, historical landmarks that were chosen for this game. But I'll get into that a little bit more later. Totally, it's like I want to say it's really cool how my time spent in Prague. I felt like one of the most amazing things about it, and I was there studying design is like the depth and stories behind the details of the city. And obviously mm -hmm. this extends, you know, I, I did move around the country a bit and it, it extends to other places throughout the Czech Republic. Um, it's got a really old history. It's got a really old history of art and design. It's got amazing architecture. It's got lots of history almost, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, especially compared to America, right? And, you know. Right, and lots that has been preserved pretty well because people care about it. And so one of the most amazing things was being there and I'm not trying to get all study abroad here, but like just everywhere I went finding little interesting, bizarre things that had a story behind them. And I feel like the developer cared about that and took that and put it into this game. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that they also mastered is the architecture in the levels of this game um, are this really interesting combination between like medieval churches and castles and then like brutalist cement architecture. Um, obviously from the communist period. Um, and I think like that's like reflective of of sort of the, the progression of, of the Czech Republic as a country based on my understanding of the history and based on being in Prague. And I thought it was really cool to see that. You know, that's an interesting contrast to sort of move about it. Yeah, totally. No, it really is. Um, so that said, the game is set in 1986, as we mentioned from the description. It's Soviet as fuck. <laughs> and 1986 <laughs> is actually three years before 
This is the history part of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> the, the Velvet Revolution. So between 1948 uh, and 1989, Czechoslovakia was ruled by the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia. In 1989, uh, the Velvet Revolution happened, which was a nonviolent revolution spurred by demonstrations of students and dissidents, and it resulted in a nonviolent transfer of power uh, and a shift to democracy. Um, and that's a huge oversimplification, and there are you know a million other things I could have said, but that's sort of the, the context that you need for sort of understanding this where this game sits um uh it sits three years before fictionally that 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 would have happened so yeah i I thought that was really interesting and when we get more into the landmarks section we'll touch on some more cool stuff related to that Um, but for now let's let's shift to the mechanics so the mechanics of this game are what made me love it so much Uh, i've been a first person shooter guy my whole life and what's interesting is that i did some digging after we played this game and i I picked up the game and i was like man this really feels like original half-life and apparently it's not just me being a baby of fps's in terms of how old i am but for anyone who's played the original half-life you're probably more likely to have played the original half-life than playing quake story mode which Kind of had a lukewarm reception when the game came out. I mean, it was a phenomenon for the multiplayer. You're you're telling me that Quake's uh, story mode, made by the man who said stories in games are like stories in porn. They need to be there, but they don't need to be good. Um, (laughs) Literally a quote from uh, from John Romero. So, yeah. And it's delivered throughout the game with, like, just random text that pops up every couple, like, every hour. Mm. But... Yeah, the mechanics of this game are awesome. They feel like original Half-Life and a lot of games of that era right when we got into true 3D and sort of out of the build engine. Mm -hmm. So the movement is super fast. The weapons are all really crunchy and the sound effects for them are great. And they have these, they have static spreads. The only thing I think nowadays that really feels like that is like playing shooters on the Unreal Engine. Yep. Um, Specifically like Epic's games. Yeah, where actually, you're shooting yeah. and they're not like getting this pinpoint at the beginning that spreads you're getting like an rng every time and that gives you a really fixed use case for each weapon and it forces you to switch between the weapons all the time constantly right yeah, exactly especially depending on enemy distance in particular is like the number oh, one yeah. factor right like so right. if you've got an enemy far off you're going to pick your lower fire rate weapons with the higher accuracy if you've got an enemy right up close it's going to be shotgun all the way yes um there's a lot of other classic fps stuff uh like the ever annoying hit scanning enemies uh yep. the shotgun enemies that will blast you as soon as they can see you and the level designs are also very similar to games of that era where you sort of go back and forth between being forced into these tight corridors with enemies and then getting out into these big open arenas where you're forced to run around and it's not just about your reflexes but it's about navigation yeah, absolutely. And also uh, target prioritization, which really reminded me of Doom 2016, because that was that game was good for getting in the flow state, and it was really good for target prioritization. That's the number one thing I think about that game, where you see a room full of enemies, and you have to decide immediately, based on what resources you have, who you're going to go for first. And who's the biggest danger? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, do you try and get close to the long range enemies so that you make sure that they're not annoying you? Did you try to take take out the close range guys and dodge the long range enemies and finish them off last? Like, you know, I found myself making those calls and uh, I don't know, it was a really satisfying feeling to feel like you're being strategic at this pace, which is a breakneck pace, really, especially like you said, with the hit scan enemies. Yeah. And um, in Herat, the highest priority are always uh, a horse that's wearing a gas mask. (laughs) 
Which I'm is... going to be honest with you. I Every time I saw that enemy, it scared me so profoundly that I killed it with overwhelming force before I even figured out what it did. Because that was one of those enemies <laughs> where I was like, I don't care. I, I just don't want to know. Yeah, I'm also going to say that that's my highest priority of danger in real life. <laughs> if I <laughs> yes. came across that. Um, yes, both, both a biological and physical threat, obviously. Yes. Um, so one thing about Hrot that we got to bring up is mm-hmm. that this game is proof that there is no excuse for the guns in your game to feel bad. Yes, This game absolutely. is one person, and I would say... Seven out of nine of the weapons feel as good as anything out there. Eight out of 11 if you count the extra bonus Soviet BFG that's available in the endless mode, because that thing is amazing. Okay, I, I, I like we said before, Steamboat Willie, hands in pockets, I'm perusing through the game. You know? uh, yes. <laughs> I yeah, found, yeah. 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 Well, and that, that's another thing is that this game does have a lot of uh, another kind of trope of that era of having secrets that you have to look around for or bunny hop for or just try to pay a little bit more attention to these simple environments uh, to get stuff that will help you through the game. Yeah, and I actually thought they were really well placed and really rewarding. Like I was I was almost never disappointed by, you know, discovering a secret and finding something there, both because like they were really well placed in terms of I got extra ammo when I needed it. And then it would occasionally give you something really cool, like a new gun, you know, some some other buff that I was like wowed by. You know, I, I thought these were really well placed. Yeah, yeah, no, they're awesome. But yeah, I have had weapon feeling a lot on the mind as I have been playing Valorant. Um, <laughs> yeah. And which, of course, is some would say a CSGO clone and, or a Counter-Strike clone. I think that's fair. With many upsides, but with the biggest downside being that they took... The gun, the AK-47 from Counter-Strike, which is the best feeling and sounding weapon in a game ever. That, like, crunchy, like, mechanical, like, you hear the slide hitting back and, like, it's just so satisfying and 20 years later never gets old. Uh, And they replaced it with the Vandal, which sounds like, it sounds like when you drop a pillow on a tile floor. That is true. It's it's very disappointing. I had to... I had to buy a skin with VFX just to feel like I was shooting bullets. So it's pathetic. And yeah, but Rot gets it right, man. I mean, they get it right. They've done a great yeah. job. They overall amazing job with the game feel. Awesome job with the environments. I think the level design is really cool. It does use what are sort of the retro shooter equivalent to uh, how fetch quests are always used in horror games just to put you in uncomfortable situations this equivalent is the uh finding keys for doors right so you're forced to find keys of various metals to get into doors and it kind of works to slow the pace and it definitely works to give you a goal when you see one behind the bars and you know what you have to find or you know how you have to go around the level to get somewhere and it does do an interesting job of leading you to get a key and then giving you a shortcut that brings you back to where you have to use that key so the backtracking isn't too tedious yeah and i didn't i didn't mind this trope in a game that's intentionally being retro quite so much as i minded it in like doom 2 you know, yeah. where like, <laughs> I mean, it's 2020 or 2019. You kind of need to come up with something a little better if you're going to be a modern game. Sorry, you know? you're talking about Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal. Yes. Thank you. In this game, I didn't mind it. I usually do. Agreed. 
Um, and there were some spots where we got lost. I think I got yes. lost. I think it probably took me five hours to play through the game, and I got lost two times. Yeah, there was a lot of from me backtracking across the level to make sure I hadn't missed anything, making sure I hadn't missed any enemies. And uh, I mean, I say a lot, and it's really, you like you said, it probably only happened twice, but those moments do stick out, you know? They do. Because they break up the flow of what is otherwise a pretty well-designed, you know, uh, setting for a game. Uh, the last thing to talk about with the level design, one thing that I love about this game is these set pieces that are trying to catch you off guard. So there's a lot of press a button and suddenly a bunch of enemies appear and you have to react really quickly and often in some tight spaces. Yeah. And it forces you to be able to select the right weapons quickly. Yeah, I, I found myself triaging my resources very often in this game, especially at these moments. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so do you want to talk about sound design? Yeah, I, I think um, it was simple, but it, it, it was effective. Um, it was definitely creepy, especially like even at the menu screen. You know, you have sort of one weird hulking enemy and some ominous background music. Um, and then all of the enemies have their own sort of sound effects that become iconic as you play through the game. Um, I had some weird glitches uh, spatially where, you know, enemies would make their sound and they'd be through a wall or above me and I could hear them very clearly. Um, but that... <laughs> To be honest, we're talking about someone who wrote a game engine to emulate shitty rendering, so it kind of just added to the retro feel of the game, and I wasn't mad about it. We'll call it deliberate. Yeah, we'll call it deliberate. We'll, we'll give the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but overall, yeah, I, I think the, the soundtrack was good, the sound design was good. Like you said, the, the sound effects for the guns in particular were very, very crunchy and very solid. Yeah, and the... The soundtrack does a good job of balancing this pulsing drive as action is happening with these eerie soundscapes while you're walking around this empty place waiting for something to jump out at you. Definitely. And I actually I actually found myself looking to the soundtrack as a cue for what I should be doing. You know, like if there was still that pulsing soundtrack going on, like I knew that there was an enemy remaining that I had to kill or that I knew that shit was about to get real. Whereas if it was more that creepy ambiance that you described, I knew that, you know, OK, like I I'm supposed to be looking around and exploring a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that the the sound effects match the aesthetic of the enemies. Uh, most of the enemies in this game are weirdly eerie in, in sort of a gas mask chic kind of way. <laughs> yeah. They are, many of them are wearing gas masks. Uh, and they're these simple sort of faceless police figures almost, right? Mixed in with some strange floating aliens and some extremely dangerous mice. Yeah. Uh, who give you an, a, a cool sound cue that has this recurring panic effect for me at least where you hear the squeak yes and then you know to look down yep and then you look for those red eyes in the dark yep absolutely um so enemies are great bosses yeah um this is where things get a little shaky uh design wise when i saw the bosses i was like these are amazing these are really really cool they're well conceived they're awesome. as far as like visuals go and concepts go when it comes to the mechanics though they leave a lot to be desired. I think the RNG involved can be very, very uh, hit or miss. And I think some of the attacks from some of the bosses are pretty cheesable, and it's not really clear whether or not the hitboxes are working as intended. Yeah, so the first boss that you fight is the gorilla. Yep. And he can smack the shit out of you, or he can shoot rockets at you yep. that have a random width to them. He'll yes. shoot two rockets. And it's it's a kind of a cool boss design because you're forced 
kind of like in Doom 2016 with the shield guys. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're forced to keep a medium distance from him. Because if you get too far away, he's just going to start shooting you over and over. And if you get too close to him, he's going to smack you. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, he's awesome design-wise. It's like taking me back to War of the Monsters, you know? You got a gorilla <laughs> with rocket launchers. I mean, it's it's yeah. absolutely sweet. I love the surreal nature of it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But you do that boss fight, and you finish it, and you're like, that was a good first boss. How are they going to ramp up the difficulty? Like, if that's the first one oh man, the fourth one is going to be intense. And then when you get to the fourth one, some of these bosses are basically just like a similar design, except their attacks have more brutal RNG. Yeah. And then you get to the final boss, and it's kind of a lot of luck whether you actually end up beating him or not. Yeah, definitely. So the RNG for his attacks feels like RNG and hitbox feels very weird. I know personally I was up in his face pretty much the whole time and I felt like I should have been dying, but I wasn't. So I kind of just kept doing it until I killed him. Exactly. Um, so I think, I think overall when it comes to the game itself and the enemies, the difficulty was spot on. I was playing it on, I think the second highest difficulty and I felt like everything was pretty fair, even, you know, the hit scan enemies. Um, but then I felt like the game definitely took a dip in difficulty when it got to the bosses. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I would recommend playing the game on the second to highest difficulty. I feel like the highest difficulty, I'm not going to call it unfair because then people are going to call me a little bitch, but <laughs> I think the, the resource to enemy enemies being sponge balance just like wasn't quite as fun. Yeah. I spent a lot of time quick saving because I was when I tried to play on harness setting because I was scared that I was going to run out of ammo. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I actually wanted to touch on too, which is that even on the second highest difficulty, there was maybe one or two quick saves where I was like, ah, shit, like I've quick saved. This is the point that I want to start at, but I've got like, you know, this much SMG ammo, this much shotgun ammo. I don't know if I can do this. And I made it through every time. Um, so I think that's a, it speaks pretty well to the level of difficulty at that level and, and the balance between the resources and the enemy difficulty. So, yeah, I agree. Second highest difficulty is the way to go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think we should briefly talk about the endless mode. Um, I found it a lot of fun. Uh, there's a, a couple of weapons that you can't access in the main game that you do get access to in the endless mode. Um, and again, this game is really, really good at getting you into the flow state. So if you're just trying to like chill get into that state of mind where you're just kind of like doing things, you know, almost by instinct. The endless mode is perfect for that. And it feels like it scales difficulty wise pretty well as well. Yeah, I just got fucked on, but it's cool inclusion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'm really excited to see. I mean, if this is episode one, I'm really excited to see what the remainder of the game will be like. Definitely. So obviously we love this game. Obviously, we recommend you check it out, especially if you're a retro shooter fan. Before we wrap things up, let's let's go through our rapid fire list of cool Czech cultural references and landmarks. Yes, thank you for indulging me. Um, but I did a lot of research combining both uh, the Twitter account of the developer, um, Spitinyev, with Wikipedia articles. And I found quite a few references to actual Prague landmarks and Czech landmarks, which is incredible. Um, so we've got level one, we've got the Prague Metro, specifically the Haja station, which uh, historically is called Kosmonotu, meaning the station of the astronauts. And that's interesting because level two is called Luna, and it has a cosmonaut... Um, a stone mosaic and the cosmonaut himself, I believe, um, uh, 
involved in that level. Uh, level four is called the Sokol Gymnasium. Sokol is a uh, gymnastics organization founded in Prague. Um, level five has the uh, Prague Congress Center, or Palace of Culture earlier, which is a, a big landmark. Uh, level six has the um, Visharad Church and the accompanying grave site, which has uh, Anton Dvorak's grave. Uh, and then uh, level eight has the Clement Gottwald Mausoleum. Clement Gottwald was the first leader of the Czech Communist Party, the first president of the Czech Communist Party. And this level is notable because uh, when you get into the mausoleum, there's a bit of a puzzle that involves standing on top of Clement Got Gottwald's body uh, in a sarcophagus uh, and then descending into this sort of lower level. And this is actually based on real life. Um, his body was exhibited in the center of the mausoleum in a glazed sarcophagus. Um, the lid had, you know, lights and mirrors built into it, and the body was moved in and out of an underground laboratory by a telescopic device. So when you're playing through this final level uh, and sort of standing on top of this weird sarcophagus and then descending into this lower lab area, that's all real, which I thought was a really cool inclusion in this game. Yeah, that is some insane real history mixed in there and just a super metal feature for something to have. Yeah, honestly, I mean, that's that's... It's very obvious that the developer is tapped into the history of Prague, the history of the Czech Republic, and is actively trying to weave that into the game. And that's, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting. It's phenomenal. Um, and, and it makes for some really good settings as well. Absolutely. So, oh, one, one bonus, um, one bonus is the floating head enemies. If you look at them in profile, and this is confirmed um, based on Spetenev's Twitter, um, the floating heads are actually the profile of Vladimir Lenin. So that's another shout out to communism that this game has. <laughs> um, again, it's just, it, it's so fun. It includes so many fun little Easter eggs like that. So overall, Harat, we love it. Go check it out. It's spooky. It's fun. It's got crunchy guns. It's got history from a pretty cool place. And it's got sarcophaguses. <laughs> Sarcophagi? Uh, if you like retro shooters, check it out. You'll love it. All right, so let's see what Steam users had to say about fraud. Uh, so, Anguirus says, Game would have been rad 20 years ago, which is to say, it's fucking rad. Nice, okay. Um, I've got uh, from Water Eaters, Duke Nukem 3D, if it was set in the Soviet Union and all of the health pickups were milk and blood. <laughs> That's a great lead-in to the review that I picked by Lab, who positively reviewed Rot, saying... Nice milk game. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, Rose says, Quake with Matryoshkas and Lenin's teachings. Uh, and my last one that I have is Suds McDuff. 170 products in account. You got to get those numbers up, man. What kind of Steam account is that? Yeah, really. Who says, as brown as it is enjoyable. Clearly a positive review. Chaotic says, it's obviously a beef stroganoff recipe disguised as a well-made <laughs> video game. Also a positive review. So. Well, if you wanted to get that one, go buy Hrot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, I think that wraps up our episode on Hrot. Um, overall, our take is if you like retro shooters, if you like the Soviet Union, uh, if you like communism, uh, definitely play it. Anything else? <laughs> nice milk game. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Under 1000. Nice milk game. Nice, nice, nice milk game. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Under 1000. If you like what you heard, give us a follow on the podcast app of your choice. 
Uh, and check us out on Twitter at, at Under1KPod. That's at the number one KPOD. See you next time.